This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is here. Even though it's a short week, we couldn't leave you without a special edition of Motley Fool Money. Well, it's kind of special just because every edition is special, really, isn't it, though? It is. Very special. Another, spe- another special edition. Another special. I'm Scott Phillips, and as you've heard, I'm with Dr. Anirban Mahanti. Mate, you've just come back from a week or so in the land of the long white cloud. Just five days. How was it? It was great. Yeah? Queenstown. Beautiful. Nice. Is it too early for snow? Uh, yeah. There's no snow there. No snow? Right. Yeah, what was the best part of your holiday, mate? Get it out of the way. Um, I don't know. Driving around, having some free time. Um, yeah, I really like driving around New Zealand, actually, and, and the South Island part. Really good. Very nice, mate. Very nice. Glad you enjoyed it. Uh, we will uh, just pause for a second to recognise that yesterday was Anzac Day, of course, and we do pay our respects to uh, the veterans, both returned and those who didn't. Uh, we appreciate their sacrifice and their service of our country. Doc, we will get on with this week's podcast, though. Firstly, we're going to talk about Macquarie, doing something a little bit un-Macquarie. So let's stand by for that one. Another trillion-dollar US company. It seems like we're minting them by the month these days. Another company missed or hit the million-dollar trillion-dollar mark, I should say. Jeez, get my teeth back in. <laughs> Warren Buffett is kind of... Not sure whether you should buy Berkshire Hathaway anymore. I read that very carefully this morning because I'm a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, as you and our listeners know, Doc. And we will, of course, do one of our favourite things and one of yours, dip into the full mailbag. Let's get it underway. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Macquarie, the millionaire's factory, the silver donut. Not really a name you associate. Well, funnily enough, you do, but let's get to that in a second. The bank itself, not really exactly a mobile telephony name you would think of, right? There's Telstra and there's Optus and there's Vodafone and there's Amasium and there's plenty of others. But you're, you're forgetting TPG. Well, TPG, of course. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm thinking about mobile here, though. TPG is not really a mobile yeah, provider well, just yet. Just yet, yeah. There is Macquarie Telecom, but this is not the same thing. Macquarie Telecom, same name, different business. But the Silver Donut, the Millionaire's Factory, wants to be a mobile telephony provider. Are we going to see kind of Macquarie take on the likes of Telstra and Optus for, for kind of supremacy in the mobile wars? I don't know. This is, this is a funny one because, you Isn't know, I, as, I would have never expected that to happen. Um, I know. Really so strange, This right? is really strange. Um, well, it looks like they are going to be a, what they call a mobile uh, virtual network operator, which basically means that yep. you're going to be a mobile operator without owning the network. So you're going to essentially... On, that, that sounds made up to me. Tell me, the, tell me how that works. <laughs> so basically, you you basically are um, think think of it as like a white labeled version of a, a Telstra mobile. Okay. <laughs> so so they're going to be running on the Telstra network. Okay. So the likes of the the Kogans and the Woolworths and yeah. the others who basically pay either Telstra or Optus for access to their towers, towers, and uh, and yeah. run a run a, a kind of a branded version of a, a Telstra. Network. Exactly. Yeah. Although what I read and. Uh, what I read is that they're trying to do something else. They're trying to actually do um, um, used cell phones, right? And that's why this is that's why this is fascinating, right? It's so fascinating. They, 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 and you can't you can't actually join the network without buying one of their phones. Yeah, so you have to, and it's a used phone, right? Right. Uh, so, which is I thought weird. <laughs> now, so here's the thing: I didn't know until I read the article. Macquarie own a million used mobile phones because they're the guys who are basically providing the financing for the kind of lease operations of Telstra and others. So that when the lease ends, you've got to give the phone back. 
And it seems like Macquarie's got a warehouse full of phones and they've kind of gone, guys, what are we doing with these phones? And some bright spark's gone, well, I guess we better start a mobile yeah. network. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they're going to sell those used phones that they get back um, uh, with, with a SIM on them. It, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, it's an interesting strategy. Probably, you know, they've probably written off most of the value of the, uh, of of the of the of the uh, of the handset, Fine, yes, yes, right. So squeezing one last bit of juice <laughs> so, so out of the lemon, yeah, squeezing that one last little bit of juice out of the lemon. Yes, fair um, enough, right? If it's your thing, but so new mobile, NU Mobile is the name of the new brand. Yeah, apparently they've already launched it. They've done what they call a soft launch because that's mm. what the cool kids call these things uh, with their own staff, and they're about to launch it for the rest of us. Yeah. Are you going to jump in line to buy an iPhone five, mate? On a, on a, on a <laughs> so, he, so here's the funny thing, right? You, so they're doing this uh, trial using the millionaire, millionaires. You know, you'd expect the millionaires <laughs> all have the latest. Uh, <laughs> that was my first thought so, too. So it was a very good soft launch because nobody actually used the phones. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I don't know. Um, Maybe the office staff don't quite get the same deal as everybody else. <laughs> so so uh, so, I, I, so I don't know. Uh, I, I think I mean more competition is is welcome, yes. although it's hard to see. You know, this is like going to be like a low margin business because effectively, I mean, you, you're still using the Telstra network, yep. right? So you can pay them for network access, um, a fixed amount, which probably is going to be some sort of step function based on the number of users you've got in your network. Yeah, right. Um, so this is good for, it's good I for Telstra. I some sort of backhanded deal though. Because, well, not backhanded, that sounds like I'm being dodgy. I fear they'll do some sort of deal because they are providing the leasing for Telstra in the first place. Yeah. So I've got to figure that between the two companies, there's some deal here where, I would bet Macquarie gets reasonably nice access prices because they're also their their mobile kind of handset provider, right, or the lease provider yeah. from that perspective as well. It's it's quite possible. So they, they might be doing yeah some you know better rates for those lease financing. Maybe so it, maybe that helps um, grow the market for them and then provides access you know to yeah. other people through these devices. So it could be interesting. Again, more more competition is always welcome. I think in this sort of industry, um, good for consumers. Yes, um, I, you know, I, I don't really know. Uh, yet, from from an investing point of view, whether yeah. th- there's anything, it's probably going to be like a small thing to start off with. It doesn't really impact the big guys. So what, I, what I love about this from Macquarie's perspective is this is, I mean, you, you're right, mate. This is Macquarie aren't trying to become the, the, the number three player in the market, right? This is exactly what you would expect a smart, savvy investment bank to be doing mm. is kind of realizing they've got a warehouse full of phones and someone says, hey, should we throw these out? And someone's going, well, if we can make a couple of bucks a month mm. out of this thing, then hey, we might as well because it's money that we wouldn't get otherwise. If they can recover the cost of their marketing, then everything else is upside. They're kind of no new phones to do, no new infrastructure to provide, yeah. a bit of billing, so there's something there, and I, I dare say they'll outsource that as well, just quietly. Yeah. Um, so effectively, all they're doing is trying to find a, a, a second life, if you like, for the handsets yeah. they're taking back. Uh, again, it's, it's not gonna, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to start this business from scratch if you didn't already have a fleet of phones. On the flip side, I, I think it's kind of smart. Right? It's what you would, you, what yeah. you want and expect a company to do is to say, well, I can throw these out or I can make a bit of extra money. I'll go and make some cash. Yeah, and maybe they would, you know, you'd sell, they would sell those same phones maybe at the Telstra shop or at the, you know, whoever oh, else's shop. I wonder right? if they'll do that. Yeah, you. so maybe they'll do that. You know, hey, we, you know, we help you sell the new ones Yeah. and you help us sell the, the old ones. There you go. So New Mobile is the name of the business. If you want to have a, a squeeze, apparently the website's up, although not a lot of detail just yet. So keep an eye on that. If you're a betting man, mate, do you think it'll be a success? Successful or a failure for Macquarie? Um, for Macquarie, I think most things are success. <laughs> <laughs> so Macquarie is one of those companies that you, I would never bet against. Yeah. So I um, don't uh, lose very often, do they? Yeah, no. I, I think the, the, you know, a bunch of smart cookies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, really well-run company. So 
No, I think it it could work. I will say that Macquarie also did back in the day have lime taxis, which hasn't worked out particularly well for them. So not every every uh, every at bat is a winner, as the as the baseball mm. fans would say. Um, but I got to say, I think it's a pretty it's a it's a smart strategy. Even if it doesn't mm. work, it's something you sh- they should be trying. Right, they should be leaving that money on the table without giving it a, g- a red hot go. Real money advice from real people, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, I'm going to do my best Dr. Evil impersonation here and say $1 trillion. That's the value. That the, This is the third company to reach that mark. Am I right, Doc? I think so. This company, and so let's let's do this. If, you, if you're listening to this in the car or going for a jog or at the office or somewhere else, have a think about which company you think might have just hit a trillion US dollars of market cap. So market cap, of course, defining our terms is the value of the company's shares. All added together, so all the shareholders and all the shares times the share price, now a trillion bucks. We've had Apple and Amazon. I reckon if most people are thinking, maybe it's Facebook or Netflix or Google, but it's none of these dogs. Mm. Not one of the fangs. <laughs> it's not one of the fangs. It's something else, and it's it's the company that nobody you know would have thought. And it's would kind get of there. The, it's kind of the granddaddy yeah. of the of the tech group these days, right? Like, I mean, I guess IBM you could put before them, but other than that. This is kind of the... Yeah, well, I mean, at the same time, actually, the founding is, is, is probably a year or two before or after, I can't exactly remember, Apple. Okay, so, so that's enough give hints. people some clues. All right, mate, un, un, unveil the name. Who, which company? So it's a, a small company. It's a trillion dollar business. It's a small company called Microsoft. Microsoft. Yeah. This, is, this, this was <laughs> yesterday's hero, right? This was the, the king of the office software suite and the email that kind of got bypassed by everybody else. It wasn't yep. very cool and sexy anymore. It was on a downtrend. Who who uses Microsoft Word anymore? Who uses Windows anymore? Mm. It turns out Microsoft have managed to put themselves into a trillion-dollar, very very rarefied category. Yeah. yeah. How have they gone about earning so much money, or in market cap terms? Anyway, how have they justified to the market they're worth a trillion bucks? Yeah, so I think one of the things that Microsoft has done very well is, um, you know, Microsoft missed a number of boats, right? So they missed the the search boat. Um, you, know, you know, they have a decent share. You are the only person in Australia that uses Bing, I believe. I, I, I use Bing largely because, I, you know, I love my privacy, so I I refuse to use stuff from uh, Google as much as I can, um, and I don't use Facebook. Right. Uh, and I hate Facebook with a with a uh, you know. And I'm not making any comments on their uh, on, on the investing merits here, but you know, I just don't use Facebook. Fair um, enough. Okay. Um, That's pretty clear. Yeah, pretty clear. I, uh, but but when Microsoft, I mean, it's an interesting company. They missed all these things. They so they're not search. worth a trillion dollars because of search. They're not worth a trillion dollars because of the browser. <laughs> browser, because you know, and not worth. Oh, in fact, they have actually, you know, they're taking the Google Chrome browser and yes. changed and basically repurposed right. it, right, to a browser now which they're calling Chromium, basically because it's an open source project. And they worked very closely with Google yeah. to you know tailor it for their needs. Is Bing not long for this world? Do you reckon, or are they going to keep? Pr- oh, Bing, Bing is going to be there. Okay. I mean, I mean okay. and they're going to use you know probably repurpose purpose the Chrome the new Chrome browser which they're gonna make available on all these other or Chromium browser and all these other platforms, right? Chromium. Yeah. And then maybe push uh, uh, Bing there. Okay. Um, so so then it's not not, not from <laughs> not, not from such. search, not from browsing. Yeah. Where's the money coming from? You know, it's from reinvention of some of the old stuff like okay. uh, the Office Suite and a little thing called Azure. 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 Which is, which is basically their cloud computing platform. Nah, it's all about the cloud. It's all about the cloud. And this is not just, though, this is not just sexy cloud talk, right? This is actually company delivering results. Now, it's yes, a, yeah. there's probably some enhanced multiple because the cloud is sexy. So to be yeah. fair, market cap-wise, there's probably an extra bit of value yeah. there because they're doing something in the cloud. And we know that acronym SAAS is always a nice thing to be able to attach yeah. to your business. 
but they're actually delivering really, really strong yeah. results. Yeah, so so I think their cloud results, so we, when they say cloud, they basically mean, so the Amazon Web Services equivalent, which is basically Amazon, uh, Microsoft Azure, okay. uh, plus everything else that they now have the, on the cloud, which is the, you know, uh, essentially the Office Suite plus Exchange and everything else, yeah, okay, right? Yeah, okay, okay. That whole thing grew something like 70%. And this is Microsoft we're talking. This is not this is not yeah. some little so, startup that's five years old, <laughs> yeah. right? This is the forty odd year old Microsoft. Forty year old Microsoft, you know, but, but okay, seventy percent for that segment. I think overall it was only like ten or fifteen percent, something like that. Okay, but okay. but seventy percent growth in that's one segment, which is um, you know you know the growth segment, and, and they're winning customers left, right, and center. All sorts of blue chip clients coming to Microsoft as well. So. Now I've been watching this for a little while. Um, and I was flabbergasted when I first heard about how well they were doing with Azure. How, how does Microsoft as a business – so we talk about U.S. companies a little bit, and we do so because, A, they're interesting in their own right, but, B, there's hopefully some investing and some business lessons from them. A 40-year-old kind of business – it was derided by everybody, right? It was mm-hmm. Everyone hated Microsoft. The The Apple fans hated Microsoft. It was Mr. Softy. It was old. It was slow. It wasn't developing much. It was kind of yesterday's computer company – most people, tech and investing, were kind of happy to leave that to, you know, the old fogies and move on with the really cool new stuff. Yeah. How has Microsoft managed to turn its business around to, to, to go from being yesterday's hero to kind of today's hero, really, to tomorrow's yeah. hero? So I think that the, you know, one of the great things here is, you know, being – because as a legacy provider and provider of Exchange, so Exchange is basically this uh, uh, email uh, – server right email right. service right and, and a lot of companies around the world blue chip companies around the world would have exchange and right? let's just let's just define it so there's not a product called microsoft exchange that consumers will be using like it was gmail or something else yeah. the exchange kind of platform underpins when you use outlook for work yeah you're, you're logging into your outlook account we use my, my yeah. accounts at fool.com.au yours is too when we log into that we use an outlook either other um program on our computers or we use a, a an online yeah. cloud-based version and that uses what we call Exchange as the kind of the back end that yeah. runs that, right? The that's database, kind of database for emails. Every large company for years, yeah. every, but almost every large company for years, <laughs> no matter what else, what other software you yeah. used, almost everybody still uses Exchange, Exchange. right? Exchange, yeah. So, so that became their gateway to basically saying to people like, look, we'll move you move you to the cloud, we'll move Exchange to the cloud for you, we'll move you know, Microsoft Online, everything, you know, Microsoft Office Suite Online to the cloud for you. And guess what? With that, we can also move your database to the cloud and we can also provide you infrastructure services and Essentially, instead of you, you know, being, say, a bank or a, mm. or a retailer or whatever, you want to run, uh, you know, compute infrastructure, you know, you want to buy computing power, you want to buy storage, why do you need to go somewhere else? Come to us. Everything at one place, right? Okay. And I think one of the benefits for them has been that they don't, they're really not competing with anybody. They're not a retailer, right? So if you're a retailer, if you go to Amazon, it's like, you know, giving away some of your secrets, <laughs> right? What you're selling, because Amazon could decide to sell that same stuff. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, I, I call Amazon very services the the platform of choice of so the techies like you know the techies and the startups <laughs> uh, yep. the people in the silicon valley uh, have grown and have used aws but mm-hmm. the blue chip companies today mm-hmm. a lot of them you know if you go to big supermarket giants they or the banks they, you know <laughs> they're actually going to microsoft yeah um, and so it, it's very interesting and i think you know they've carved themselves satya nadella who who leads this company now has done a yep. fabulous job of essentially you know streamlining what they offer and the other thing i'll add you know microsoft surface like their little uh you know hybrid between macbook and the ipad so this is fascinating the, the, i i my, my wife's got a surface full disclosure not that i need to disclose it necessarily but she she kind of likes it and i see plenty of them around i am i am astonished i am blown away 20 percent growth and, and these are really really bloody expensive computers <laughs> right yeah. they're not you, i think they're probably the most expensive you know kind of pc based 
device you can grab, I yeah, think. Just be, they're, they're almost as expensive now as, uh, you know, stuff that you buy from Apple, right? Right, right, right. And you so, kind of think, well, why, you know, why are people just, at some level, like I'm not an Apple fan, right? As a, as a consumer, I'm, I'm happily, happily using my Microsoft and Android products, but but I, I like the company. Broadly speaking, you kind of think, well, if you don't spend that much money, you might as well buy a Mac at some at some level. I'm surprised more people aren't making that choice at that price. I, I think you know. I think now they're providing basically for those people who want Windows and want Office products and a Windows environment, right. providing them an Apple-like experience. And, <laughs> and basically, you know, that's what it is. Yep, Microsoft Surface is basically providing Apple-like experience. So right. you know, I, I actually really like the company, um, and I've said that before. You know, uh, you know, I might like Apple more, but I, I do like yeah. you know Microsoft, and I think what their strategy. I really like their strategy and what they've done. So, it, it, again, there's something there, you know, big companies do grow, you know, at some point this was a half a trillion dollar company, it's probably doubled, Man. right? Uh, great dividend. Who said elephants can't dance? No, steal uh, yeah, uh, still- IBM, <laughs> the IBM book from Lou Gerstner? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, that, that is just phenomenal. I, I am, I'm still a little bit, I, I said, we watched it for a little while, so I'm not super surprised it's just hit a trillion. Uh, but but if you asked the Scott Phillips of five years ago where Microsoft would be today, I would have given you really, really long odds that it was the third company to hit a trillion bucks. Like, yeah. I, I, I would have put it. 10th or 12th or 15th in terms of the companies I thought would get there in time, right? Yeah, that, that's Just true. Just amazing. Just <laughs> that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Maybe we were just speaking about elephants that can't dance. Maybe the biggest elephant, and certainly the man with the elephant gun, <laughs> to throw a couple of, uh, to, that's, that's that for a tangent. I'm, I'm, getting good, I'm getting good at this stuff. A couple of years, I will. Will Porter, our producer, give me the big thumbs up, the big OK sign. Um, he's obviously very impressed. Or... It's just a very, very low bar, which is probably the case for me. Let's be, let's be really good. Have a thumbs up for that one. There yeah. we go. <laughs> if I can clear a low bar, I'm doing well. So it's a, it's a good Friday morning. Mate, um, the, the elephant the elephant gun, of course, I'm talking about Warren Buffett. He's been in the news in the last little while. Um, he's got a, I want to say it's $100 billion of cash. I think it is over $100 billion of cash that's sitting around gathering relative dust or virtual dust mm. while he tries to find something to buy. Now, that was its own problem. Company still doesn't pay a dividend. He's out today saying that you might as well buy shares of the S and P five hundred as buy the shares of Berkshire. In other words, he doesn't expect Berkshire anymore to outperform the S and P five hundred by any any reasonable amount. Is this is this Buffett kind of giving up on the whole thing and walking away? I don't know. I mean, over the last what ten years, I think ten or fifteen years, yep. Berkshire hasn't actually beaten ten years. I think, yep, yeah, yep. hasn't beaten the S and P by a significant margin. Right. In fact, it's, I think well, oh, it's maybe like five years it's losing. Yeah, losing, about yeah. ten, but five certainly. So, I, I don't know. I mean... Actually, before I let you keep going, I'm going to jump in only to say I own Berkshire Hathaway shares, which regular listeners will know. Yeah. But as, as we go into the rest of this conversation, I want people to be aware up front of, of my personal uh, subconscious and conscious biases. I'll try and put them to the side, but just, just for, for reference. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Berkshire's main issue might be that... Uh, so, so, I think Berkshire's big value creation has come from the businesses that they have acquired and that they have folded into the Berkshire fold and that basically are the independent, you know, the Geico's and... All the other things that they have yep, actually, almost, you, almost you know, you know, the seas candies and things like that, right? And energy, energy generators. It owns railway companies. Yeah. It owns a whole lot of stuff. All of th- yeah, paint, so, paint manufacturers. Uh, a tra- the Oriental Trading Company, which does about everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, don't they even have a screws and like you know uh, precision cast <laughs> precision cast parts? This car, this car is a uh, is a machine tools business out of Israel. Yes. Right. So uh, so all sorts of things. And I think a lot of value creation has come from there. But I think yeah. one of the things I'll note is that Berkshire has tended to buy businesses that are very you know tend to be capital heavy. Yep. Um, and, and you know, and I think those businesses are not likely to return high 
you know, at least that's what I think high returns going forward. A lot of the S&P um, is now getting dominated by these, mm. you know, capital light businesses. Mm. That's probably part of the equation here. The the other thing is that, I mean, it's pretty big already, right? I mean, something that's, that's big and that is capital heavy is very difficult to grow fast. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe that's part of it. Maybe maybe something else is brewing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> frankly, if, I mean, he can just pay a dividend, right? Or he could just you know do some share repurchases. Yep. Um, yep. Which they are doing a little bit of, but I think to your point, at some point they can yeah. definitely ramp that yeah. up. And I think the other problem maybe is that you've got $100 billion in cash and you don't really, I mean, for them to buy something, yeah. they either need to buy the full thing. Uh, there aren't many that they could buy or they need to buy a meaningful chunk. If they need to buy a meaningful chunk, it has to be a big company and those big companies don't really grow that fast, right? I mean, you know, so, um, and, and I think the other thing is that he's, he's shied away from tech, right? So, you know, his his only t- tech investments have been IBM and I think uh, Apple, which are not really I mean, IBM was more of a tech player and Apple is more of a consumer discretionary player. Yeah, IBM was more actually a services player. He, he kind of bought that for the services business. He bought Apple for the consumer business. Consumer, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think maybe that's the problem, right? He has to buy things like Apple to deploy his cash, um, which makes it hard for him to to say that you're going to do any better than... Yeah, maybe he's just being honest. Yeah. I think that's, that, that, I think that's exactly right. I'm... So I've got two. I've got two thoughts here. I think. I think. Firstly, he's being humble. I think he would ex- hope and expect he can do better than what he's saying. I think he's a he's a an under promise over deliver kind of guy. That being said, as you've rightly pointed out, the last five years have been pretty lean times for Berkshire Health, so at least versus the S and P. I think Berkshire's done very well. Don't get me wrong, but relative to the S and P, certainly certainly lagging. I so let me let me throw this at you, mate. The last time people had this conversation about Warren Buffett was 1997, 1998, when Buffett was badly, badly losing to the market, mm-hmm. and the the famous headline in I think it was the Wall Street Journal or Barron's or Fortune was "What's wrong, Warren?" Um, the sense that he was being bypassed by guess what, the tech titans and the new breed and the the new business models and all that kind of good stuff that was happening around the time. Of course, in the fullness of time, I don't think Nasdaq still has recovered those highs of early 99, 2000. Is there a chance that just maybe this is another one of those cycles where tech is being overvalued, overappreciated, and as a result, both the money is not going to Berkshire instead, so it's not pushing the price up. And mm-hmm. on the flip side, maybe Berkshire is just having one of those underperformance times while tech is in the ascendancy, and at some point, Buffett comes roaring back when tech gets revalued down again. So I think so. You you touched on many different themes here. So one of the things you're basically indicating maybe this, is this a micro, uh, is this a market top? Uh, not um, necessarily. I'm, I'm more thinking about the value of tech specifically. So you you mentioned the fact that you know I agree with you. The S and P has absolutely beaten Buffett largely because of the growth of the tech. The, the fact we talked about Microsoft, right? Add those companies together. I think if you took them out, Buffett would probably be beating the S and P. Those five six companies have added more value than I think the rest of the market combined to the S and P 500. At some point, if the market was to say actually. Amazon isn't worth $2,000 a share and Apple's not worth $250 a share and Google's not worth whatever. At, at some point, is it possible that the market comes back to Buffett rather than vice versa? So, so I mean, everything is possible. That's, that's, that's <laughs> number one. Um, number two, I think, yeah, I think staying away from tech has been a mistake. And I think, yep. yeah, for him, and I think it, I still believe and I continue to believe that it is a mistake going forward. I also don't think tech... Many of the U.S. tech, actually, I do not think are overvalued at all. Like, I mean, you know, you're paying, what, like 27 times earnings for Microsoft. Yep. So is it really overvalued? It's not really overvalued. Um, there's a difference. Between, like, I mean, you know, last time in the, in, the, in the 2000s when, you know, things were really, really expensive, you know, when Cisco was like, you know, Cisco hasn't actually, for example, as a, using as a, Cisco as an example or Intel as an example, they, they have still not hit that share mm-hmm. price. 
those things were at ridiculous valuations at that right, time right. so i don't think tech overall is there could be portions of tech that that you know there's a lot of the saas things like you know so software as a service that mm-hmm. you know some of these companies That's are at least 10 pe points right you were throw saas in your name you can pretty much you yeah, know, add, yeah yeah so add, you add, take your pe from 7 to 27 just by adding that yeah right? many of these don't even have a pe right <laughs> <laughs> so so, um, so many of them are, them are selling on an enterprise value to sales multiples of like 20 30 40 that's so, expensive to me some of those are expensive <laughs> yes so i i but but there is always pockets of expense i think the difference there are a couple of differences here i think mm-hmm. um it is true that Nasdaq has maybe just recently crossed um, what the peak was in oh, the end of Maybe, maybe oh, just yes. about okay. right. Okay. Um, so those people who bought at that peak, you know, in, it's in a long that, twenty years, it's a long twenty years, they've not made anything. Man, <laughs> so, um, so that's. But yeah, at the same time, I think. I think we had this discussion on the back. I think the main thing to keep in mind is a lot of things have changed. And I think the biggest change has been the ubiquity of the internet mm-hmm. and the ubiquity of mobile. And right. that has really changed how business is done and has shifted the power of balance to, you know, so there was a fake tech head mm-hmm. in the, in the two thousands. And now I think the tech, most of the tech stuff is actually delivering real value. They actually have earnings. You know, this is not mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, getyourdogfood.com where, you know, you're, you're <laughs> promised to get your dog food in five years from now some, right, from right. some service, right? So a lot of these things are happening. There's like a lot of earnings growth happening. There's a lot of value creation being mm-hmm. being done. So, um, yeah, I, I think, so, so I don't think... It's as if, if anything, it's, it's it's an acknowledgement on his part that you know the type of investing he does. Yeah. That, that's what I look is is maybe past its prime, and and his 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 two lieutenants they basically do not invest like him. So they you know they invest in all sorts of other businesses, mm-hmm. um, uh, new age businesses and so on. So I think yeah, uh, maybe it's just an acknowledgement, and maybe he's getting ready to hand over the reins of his money to uh, his. Uh, uh, Todd and whatever uh, Todd and Ted Todd and Ted Todd Combs uh, and Ted Weschlake yes maybe maybe to them and you know maybe he's looking to retire soon <laughs> I will say mate when anyone says Warren Buffett's lost it or maybe he's uh, past his prime that's normally a contrarian indicator that Buffett's about to do well and the rest of the market may be about to fall that was certainly the experience in 1998-1999 so we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens next I, I tend to think you're partly right I don't have as much faith in you at, at, on the valuations of the companies that are trading for this really, really high price. I think that's, I'm still worried about, frankly, about what that might do with and to us, uh, whether or not we get out of that one alive is, is an open question. Um, I do think, though, to your point, what I think, I wouldn't say Buffett's missed stuff. I think it's be arrogant of me to try and say that. I, Buffett's invested for 50 something years way better than I could ever do. So I won't, I'm not ready to write him off just yet. What I think, though, is interesting about the change is that we see in the, de- in the dot-com days, we saw tech as a separate thing. Right, and tech is, and you know this. I'm not telling you what you don't know, but just for our listeners, um, tech is now part of almost everything. Yep. And so it's gone from being an industry in itself to some degree. Talking about the tech sector, I think is actually a little bit misleading by most people. Now there are some purely tech companies that are software companies deliberately. They provide software. They are genuine tech. Is Amazon tech? Uh, I don't. You know, I think it's probably retail. And so if you think about that, the dollars going out of Walmart and Kroger and Coles in the US or, you know, pick your, pick your preferred uh, provider here, you know, Woolworths, Harvey Norman, whatever here, um, to some degree, they're going to an Amazon, right, in, in a new world. So Amazon, yes, it's tech powered. So in, in really important ways, it is tech. But in other ways, you think about what's happening here. This is not, as you said, businesses with great tech dreams with dot-com names that can all of a sudden be sold for a fortune. This is just Amazon is a retailer doing business a different way. 
And so when you think about it that way, that's the thing that I think if Buffett is missing something, it's that. If he likes retail companies, great. You should be liking Amazon, at least conceptually, the price we can argue about, but I'm Amazon shareholder too, for the record. Um, there's some sense that if retail is retail, then just because it's being done a different way, that's something Buffett needs to adapt to over time, I think. And that's probably my my biggest my biggest concern is that I think, you know, he doesn't have to necessarily invest in software companies, in, in programming businesses, in businesses that sell software, he doesn't understand it. But to the extent that tech is taking money away from traditional retail, for example, um, if you're only investing in old school retailers or old school uh, software, uh, music and video distribution businesses, for example, like a Netflix, you know, just something. Or newspapers. In, right, right, right. So it's at some level, that's correct. Right, yeah, newspaper. Yeah. I mean, is, is Fairfax a tech company or nine now? Yeah, kind of arguably it is, right? Because most of what it's doing is being done online, or at least the yeah. growth businesses are online. If you're going to avoid tech altogether, You've got to be careful about what you're investing in isn't being disrupted by tech, or at least what you're investing in needs to adopt that tech to stay relevant. I think if there's a if there's a change there, I'm not so sure that tech in and of itself is the only way to invest in the future. But I think what you need to be careful of is you're not investing in the businesses that aren't embracing tech and have a somewhat limited or risky shelf life as a result. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think the, the the thing I would say is that Amazon, for example, he has not invested in Amazon, right? In in spite of being uh, quite friendly, I think, with Bezos. Yeah, a big fan. A big fan. Uh, but the funny thing is that you know I wouldn't even call Amazon a retailer. I would just basically call Amazon a you know a conglomerate in some sense, right? I mean, yeah, right. It, it's you know it's got Amazon Web Services, it's got retail, it's got you know streaming, it's got music, it's got you mm-hmm. know Prime membership, right? So. Yeah, so I think I think you're right to say that you know tech is everywhere, mm. and you know avoiding businesses that look tech heavy mm. but mm. serve the general population in some way or the other, or general services provide general services essentially is basically meaning that you've reduced the investment slate to a significantly small portion. So yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. So if you're a betting man, well, let me ask you a direct question: Should I be selling my Berkshire shares? Do you reckon? I don't own them. Um, I used to own Markel, which I've sold. Okay. Um, so Markel often describes it as the a baby, baby Berkshire? Yeah. Um, uh, I think I would. Um, largely, uh, largely. Uh, see, I, I mean, it depends on what Berkshire is doing for you in your portfolio, right? I mean, if it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's like if you're happy to take um, uh, S&P-like returns with maybe lower volatility, then maybe Berkshire is, is right for you, right? But if you're looking for growth, I mean... I, I don't own Berkshire largely because, you know, I I have got other investments I'd call more foundational and I'm happy to take the volatility that comes with it. Mm. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and I don't tell anyone to buy Berkshire. Um, Sacrilege. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I mean it's again, every every company has a shelf life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and that 50 years run is a big, big run for any company, right? Mm-hmm. And that too for an investment company or a conglomerate. 50 years run is huge. Um, so then it's, you know, what, half a trillion dollar company already, right? So Not it's bad. pretty big, right? So, um, but, you know, getting there, I mean, how much, you know, getting from there, it'll probably get to a trillion dollar in maybe next 20 years. I mean, you know. Yeah. I, I, think, I think you did, right? I think that I'd rather own, well, I'd almost rather own, I'd rather own Berkshire than S&P 500. The question for me over time is, is that the right decision? If tech continues to dominate and grow and, and Berkshire has a not, not, a insufficient amounts of those sort of businesses, and frankly, if other businesses aren't available at a good price, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You don't have to just invest in growth companies. You can invest in good value companies that get re-rated or that spin out heaps of cash, as you said. Right now, unless Berkshire can do that, it does really face the risk of losing to the S&P for another five years, right? If, it, if, if the tech story continues... And stocks aren't cheap enough for Buffett to buy. And in five years, we'll have $200 million of cash in the, in the bank. It's all nothing to buy, and the, the stock will continue to underperform the market. 
You could just sell your Berkshire and buy in equal proportion some Apple and some uh, and some Microsoft. And you'd say Apple. That would. I, <laughs> that, that would actually be good for your portfolio. Well, the good thing is, so Berkshire owns some apples. So there you go. Indirectly, I'm a Berkshire I'm an Apple shareholder. And uh, indirectly, I'm happy that Tim Cook works for me. So uh, Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, the segment that we all love and you all hopefully love too, to been over red faces old line. We're going to dip into the Motley Fool mailbag, Doc. And I've got a couple of questions. We've got all that much time, so we'll try and click through a couple. The first one comes from Travis, and Travis emailed us and said, Hi, guys, this one's for Scott. He says, Hi, guys, insert gratuitous praise here. I don't... I, I can't believe people keep writing to us saying how wonderful we are. It's very nice. I'm just surprised. Yeah, but, yeah. We've never asked them to. Yeah, definitely not. Just a very nice people. We must be doing a very good yeah, job. Yeah, awesome. You'd almost, you'd almost think you'd almost think Travis felt like he had to say that to get his get his question asked. I think so. Well, no. <laughs> anyway, so he's, he's other than that, he says I'm interested in Scott's statement that he isn't into mining stocks. Considering we are in Australia, tick. Our top ten exports are, and this I quite like this list. He's he's <laughs> he's redacted the actual the actual names of the, the, the individual commodities. He said mm. so. This is the top ten exports, right? Number one, mining. Mm. Number two, mining. Number three, education. Number four, mining. <laughs> Number five, tourism. Number six, mining. Number seven, mining. Number eight and nine are agriculture, and number ten is mining. Is six out of the ten are mining? Or put it another way, based on percentage terms, it's around half of our total exports. He says that's forty-eight percent from an article based on DFAT data, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Mm-hmm. He says, isn't this like being in London not into financial stocks, or being in California not into tech stocks? I'd be interested to hear why he cuts so much of the market out of his consideration. Thanks, Travis. So I'm going to have a go at answering that question, Doc, and then you can jump in with your thoughts at the end. Um, two two thoughts, Travis. I've I've never said I would never buy mining stocks, and I will never say never. About two and a half years ago, I think it was, I went very, very close to recommending Evolution Mining for our members, which would have been a great winner, and I didn't do it. So I'm not claiming any false credit. I'm, I'm uh, damning myself with, with a faint praise because I should have bought it and didn't, so that's my, my problem. Um, so there are times when you should absolutely buy mining stocks when the fundamentals of the business and the price are really attractive, like any company on the ASX. The problem I have with mining, broadly speaking, is a really, really crappy business. So as a general rule, not only is it capital heavy, and you've talked about capital heavy versus capital light before, Doc, including today, um, not only is it capital heavy, but once you finish it, if, you, if you've got a, a factory making widgets, right, you've got to do some repair and maintenance, you've got to replace a machine, but that factory can, in theory, keep pumping out widgets for decades. If you're digging a hole in the ground, once you finish the hole, you've got to go find another hole to dig. So all the money, all the equipment, yeah, you can probably reuse some of the equipment if you truck it around the around the country and do something else with it. They, they do. Um, to some degree, all that capital sunk into that hole is only – you can kind of only use most of it once. You buy the land, you put the effort in, you put the, the work in, you make some money on the way through, hopefully, if the price is kind, and then it goes away. So you know, m- making money just to be able to afford to buy another hole is, is a really, really tough way to make money. On the f- uh, additionally to that, you're selling a commodity product where you're a price taker. Now, frankly, you know the, the comparison with financial services and tech is great because in neither of those industries in general are you a price taker. In fact, the best businesses in finance and in in um, software are creating products and actually being able to charge premium price. I mean, look at Apple. We talked about that plenty of times. The gross margins on Apple are fantastically wonderful compared to a, a miner who says, well, I guess if everyone else is paying 40 bucks for iron ore, I've got to take 40 bucks for iron ore too. Otherwise, I can't sell a single a single gram, let alone a ton or two. So to some degree, if you're a price taker, you're a commodity business, very, very hard to make a decent amount of money. So that's that's kind of on, on a quality level why I'm, I'm nervous about mining stocks. More importantly, I think... Actually, I'll come back to the, the last point. I'll, I'll round it off with that. The second thing I'll say is that um, the 
just because a, a company or, or a country, sorry, has a lot of a particular thing or does a lot of a particular thing, doesn't mean you should invest in it. Um, we've just talked about tech and the NASDAQ. It would have been crazy to say in 1999, hey, I'm in California. All we do is tech stocks. I'm going to fill my portfolio with crappy overpriced tech stocks because we're in California. Um, or I'm in London. and oh, London, London's probably a great example, but maybe New York's a better one just because of the GFC. If we'd been during the GFC and said, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in New York. I've got to buy Lehman Brothers and I've got to buy Morgan Stanley and I've got to buy Bank of America and I've got to buy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. There are great times to buy great businesses, there are very few times to buy poor businesses because they're very rarely cheap enough to be worth buying. But in any case, just because you're in a space doesn't mean you should be investing. In fact, there's an argument to say that if you're in a particular country that's heavy on, say, for example, commodity exposure, well, guess what? Our overall economy is relying on that stuff. It actually might be better off investing not in that because if unemployment spikes because, for example, China stops buying our iron ore, well, Australia may go into a recession. You don't want to be doubling up both a tough employment market, a tough business market with, by the way, my portfolio has been chopped in half because China doesn't like our iron ore anymore. So there's reasons why, ironically, you should be looking to diversify away from what we're big at rather than necessarily buying into it. The last one I'll throw at you is just that broad idea of trying to beat the market and what the best stocks are to beat the market. It doesn't matter. You don't have to buy... Commodity stocks, just because we've got a lot of them, our only job is to buy the stocks that are going to beat the market. It would be a huge mistake to think just because – it's like people are buying investment properties, right? Plenty of people say, well, I live in – let's pick a suburb. I live in Willoughby in Sydney. I don't, but if we did, i say, well, I know Willoughby, so I'll buy another house in Willoughby. And say, so, well, you could, and yes, it's around the corner, it's tempting, but gee, do you really want both your home and your investment property in the same – you know, same suburb with the same demographic trends, the same economic trends. Wouldn't you rather have a, a house in South Yarra in Melbourne or a new farm in Brisbane or in, again, pick your, pick your suburb in your, your favourite capital city? Um, you want to be diversified, right? So adding stuff just because you're doing it already is not a great way to go. Um, if you have, Travis, a particular expertise in that area because you're in that market, because Australia is, you know, very high, big in commodities. So, yeah, great. Go for it. Um, by all means. But no, I think it's it's a really, I think it's a mistake, respectfully, to think that just because we sell a lot of something, we necessarily should invest in it. And so the reason I don't often invest in mining companies is simply because they're very rarely good quality investments. I've looked at big and small miners over a very, very long period of time. And I'll tell you what, it's very, very hard on average to make money investing in mining stocks. Now, it's just the way it is. And so, you know, I'm not avoiding them for any other reason than simply just, they tend to be bad investments. And there's no there's no benefit in me being parochial or, or otherwise, or, or just because we do it here. Um, as I said, in fact, I'm, I'm actually better off saying, well, you know what, if we don't have a lot of tech in Australia, maybe I should invest in US tech, for example, or something else, because that gives me diversification and potentially growth rather than investing in bad stuff just because that's where we are. Doctor, do you have any thoughts you want to add to that? Um, I'll just add that, you know, um, over time I have experimented with lots of different miners. <laughs> um, the good <laughs> miners, the explorers, the, you know, wannabe miners. Oh, no. And hey, t- Tell me it went well. I actually can't remember a single case, <laughs> a single instance oh, where no. I've actually made money. Yeah. So um, it's, just it, bloody tough. it's very, very difficult. Yeah. The, the, yeah. These, things, these things tend to eat capital. They tend to lose money or at least not make much money. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm tempted to say yeah. if you're a good trader, maybe you can make money doing that. But I don't know people who are good traders either, right? So I just, I just, I just don't. You've got finite capital. Your only job yeah. is to find the best possible investments you can. If I give you ten thousand dollars, go and find the best ten thousand dollars worth of investments you can. If that's a minor, great. It's been a very, very, very long time since I considered a minor even the tenth or twentieth or thirtieth yeah. best place for my money. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I've invested in BHP and Woodside and <laughs> Linus, <laughs> right, right, and none of them I made money. And you know, maybe mm-hmm. again, as you said, you you really need to get the cycle right. Yeah, you need to get 
the timing right, right? You know, if you're buying pre, you know, pre-product, you know, exploration stage, you really good need luck. to get, you know, good luck. You yeah. need to get your timing right. You need to know that they'll actually find stuff and then be able to produce it at at a good price. <laughs> and even the highest, even the highest quality model, I, I think, I think BHP and South Thirty Two, so the good and old, the, the, the old BHP kind of put back together. I think they are really, really high quality operators. I, I think they are fantastic business people, fantastic mining operators. They're doing the best job they can. Rio, Rio in the mix. But when they own, all price yeah. is low. When it's high, by the way, they look like geniuses. And when it's low, they look like idiots. Yeah. They're neither of those things. It's a bit like running an airline, right? Alan Joyce has done a spectacular job trying to keep Qantas out of bankruptcy. If he, do, if he doesn't go bankrupt on your watch, is an airline doing well? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you want, if you're going to invest in them, invest in the, the quality operators. But even then, when the iron ore price, or if, if and when it falls from 80 bucks to 40 bucks, and your profit goes through the floor, it's through no one's fault at all. Quite yeah. literally, it's just a commodity product. You've, all you can do is, is do the best you can to try and salvage as much cash or as much profit as you can possibly find. Um, the, we'll talk about, we might talk about miners now. We might talk about when we should buy miners. Maybe next week, Doc. Maybe, maybe. So we'll, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about why we would and when we would buy miners, just to, to round out this conversation. Not for now. Um, maybe that's a useful conversation to have. But uh, yeah, g- generally speaking, very, very hard to be a long-term investor and own, own the miners because they tend to, over time, well, I won't say destroy capital. It's a little bit harsh, but yeah, it's not much better than that. Yep. Modly full money. Maybe we've got time for one more question. Well, this one comes from Rory, and Rory says, "Love the podcast, gents. Hey, hey, thanks, Rory." Again, another another person saying they're great. Surprising, mate. We yeah, never, we, we must be doing an awesome job here. We, we'd never ask for praise. No, definitely not. Humble sorts. Uh, <laughs> love the podcast, gents. Hope humble. you've had a good Easter break. I did, and you certainly did, as we heard. Yes. Um, would love to get your thoughts on next DC. Big tailwinds due to the move to the cloud, but is it too expensive trading at such a high PE? Doc, you know a little bit about Next DC. Mm. Tell us in in a couple of minutes because we we're not having all that much time. Tell us in a couple of minutes what Next DC does and whether or not you think it's too expensive at the current price. Right. So Next DC is basically a data center operator. Okay. okay? So what they do is they build, they own the buildings. Yes. Um, and they own the power supply, the cooling supply, the security, mm-hmm. the you know the cameras, and you know they bring in the network and everything. And then people who want to run their own data centers mm-hmm. and don't want to actually build it, they could actually take a space, basically a set of racks, yep. and put their own. So if I am, let's, let, me, let me just make up a name, if I'm IBM and yes. I want to have a data center, I could go to Next DC right. and get a footprint. So if you started up DocFlix tomorrow to yep. compete with Netflix, I know, you, I know you would never do that, but if you, if you were, you'd say, well, the first thing I need to do is, is get some way of distributing my content to my potential viewers. Yep. I've got to host that content somewhere. I could get a whole lot of a whole lot of uh, computers and whack them in the garage, or I can go to someone like Next DC and say, "Hey guys, you've already got the whole thing set up. Yeah, can I rent a little bit of space? Can I throw some of my servers into yep. a little a little corner of your warehouse?" And I'll say, "Yep," and you'll you'll pay them by the month to do that. And then anyone who goes to docflix.com will be redirected to a Net D- Next DC data center to get their yep. content. So, so the funny thing here is that you know one would think that if I'm you're IBM and you put in all the compute and the storage and so on, right? And those things have finite shelf life, yep. whereas Next DC stuff actually has a long shelf life, right? Right. So 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 Next DC is basically like Westfield, which you know uh, it's like the the shopping mall that hosts all these different place people and yep. basically charges rent. So you could effectively you should think of it as like as a REIT in some form of the other. So I was going to say. <laughs> exactly that mate so i'm glad you mentioned that because that was exactly going to be my challenge i have for the longest time not really understood why effectively a fancy a fancy warehouse this is a warehouse right this it could have food i mean it couldn't exactly it could have food in it, it could have yeah. could have anything in it right a warehouse yeah it's a it warehouse. happens to have computers in it rather than rather than pallets yeah. of food or pallets of something else and and it's char- it's trading on a tech pe 
where arguably I would be like, I, I've always said, and I've been wrong for a long time because the share price has gone really well over the last five years, but I've said for the longest time, I don't see how this is not just trading at about book value-ish, like a Westfield Wood or a Stockland property or a Mervac or a, a GPT. Mm. Why why should I pay more PE to, in PE terms for someone who houses computers rather than someone who houses pallets of dog food? Yeah, so it's the REIT for computers. I, I think the maybe, maybe it yeah it maybe should be trading at some sort of yield uh, sort of thing, but it's not you really think so, would yeah, you? but it's not a yield to play. I think largely a couple of things. W- one thing is that you really need to. Um, Australia being a small country, mm-hmm. um, therefore it means that you know if somebody wants to like, build a data center, is likely to be the big guys and none of the small guys, right? Okay. Which gives because an, the market's not big enough to justify the cost. Exactly, the market's not big enough to justify the cost. So okay. therefore, somebody who is being it is the holding company who is willing to you know do do the job and then basically you know sell out small parcels. So there's a little bit of that uh, you know, uh, I don't know maybe some sort of arbitrage there that you know if I'm if I am Oracle, if I'm IBM, instead of investing directly in buying land space or right, you know, right. say you go to so kind of this is a fancy version of like a serve corp or a we work the idea of kind of yeah. you, you, you're kind of getting a serviced office kind of so rather than feel like a proper pure warehouse yeah you're kind of doing something more akin to so you're not, you're not the landlord of a big building you've, you're subleasing the space a little bit like a serve corp or a we work yeah. and, and it's, it's more specialized in the sense that you know you still need to make sure that you have got enough you know network capacity enough cooling capacity right you need to be able to expand those cooling and you know capacity and you know your, your capacity to put more stuff and your capacity to cool them over time so a specialized so, we work is what i'm getting it's a specialized so sort of thing okay. uh, yeah specialized serve corp let's call it i think okay. i like that analogy so yeah i mean the, the more Multiple is rich. Um, there has been, I think, the, part of part of the reason the stock has done well, I think, is that because of this move to cloud trend, mm. um, there has been a huge demand for cloud infrastructure in Australia. Okay, and there was nobody fulfilling that need. Okay. Okay. So they became effectively the only pan Australia service provider. Right? There are other providers like Equinix and so on who are located in. Like Equinix is the big boy, right? Um, in, in this business, um, and and they have presence in Sydney and Melbourne. But you know these guys have actually presence in almost all Australian capital cities. Okay. So it's a little bit. They have a little bit of a local moat in that sense, right? They're the only ones that can provide you access right. to facilities across these different places. And if you want something in every capital city, you can. Either you can do some with one and some with yeah, other, but you're probably yeah, going to go next to this. So exactly. Do me a national deal. Yeah. Put me in Perth and Adelaide and Brisbane and Melbourne yeah. and Sydney. I'll pay you X dollars and I'll get the lot in one go. Yeah. So I think, yeah, they've nicely written. The, so there's a little bit of maybe uh, enthusiasm in the share price, but I mean, that they've nicely re- written this trend. Um, yeah. I mean, currently, um, I think, you know, I would say the shares are, I would say roughly fairly valued. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's not a screaming bargain or anything. You know, it's at what, $6 something. Um, yeah, and a lot of that growth has happened in the form of, you know, this wave of installments happening. Okay. So there's, yeah, so there's that. So Is the y- biggest risk to, to NextDC then the fact that someone eventually with either deep enough pockets or a large enough customer base is able to compete on those bases, i.e. a national provider with sufficient kind of uh, ability and specialization? I mean, at some point, I, I'm figuring that the point that someone else can put a, a, another data center in the rough same proximity in, in as many places, margins should fall through the floor at some point, right? Absolutely. As soon as there's an alternative potential. So it, how likely is that? Are we talking about, is NextDC great until it's terrible, until someone turns up? Do you think this is sustainable? How would you think about kind of the future-proofness, which isn't a word, of, of NextDC? And nothing's, nothing's future-proof, yeah. but how likely is it that this, this is a business model that's sustainable in the current form for five years, or is it a case of 
As soon as you feel like someone's coming down the pike, you better get out. Yeah, so, so, uh, this is one something I keep repeating. You know, a lot of the tech or tech-like investments in in on the ASX are what I call like niche opportunities. Yeah. So, so. Uh, in that sense, Next DC has this niche. It is the leader in Australia with, uh, you know, this footprint, with the ability to serve all its, you know, customers, right? Right. Um, given that all those customers are there, somebody else has to now be willing to, for this small market, which is big enough for Next DC, but probably not a dial mover for somebody like Equinix, to actually be willing to step up and invest capital and then try to steal all the clients that they have already hooked up, right? Right, right. Who probably are on some contracts of a couple of years. So... Uh, this is one of the one of the things where you, if you're the first mover in a niche market, you know, then nobody really is going to, you know, I mean, unless if if Equinix wants to do it instead of spending its own capital, it's better off probably just buying <laughs> next DC. And maybe that's except, the, except that it's trading at such a high multiple of book value. Uh, other, other than the other than the customer chase, the, ironically, the more expensive the shares, are, the less likely it is to buy because well, the cost of setting up a competitor is is roughly kind of asset value rather than share value. Right? Yeah, but unless unless if you are Equinix and you yeah. basically you know, and there are a couple of others like digital reality and so on. But if you're Equinix and you want to basically control and dominate the Australian space, and you can basically pretty much charge whatever you want to if you just yeah, buy okay. next DC. Oh, out. So you can you can jack up the right. price on the other guys, right? right? So I think, you know, that would be the reason, you know, for doing that. But I think right now, I feel that they're fairly in a good good, good place, okay. largely because, again, you know, they, they've basically gone first and they were ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, the 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 uh, cloud investments in Australia. So mm-hmm. they, they made the cloud investments here right when other people wanted to make those cloud right. investments, right? So they were pretty much in lockstep and the other guys were, you know, busy serving other jurisdictions. So they basically yeah. served a need. Uh, in some form, they have a moat in that sense that, you know, they're Australia-wide. Uh, and they're kind of at incremental capacity more cheaply than someone having to build an entire exactly. scratch, right? Yeah, so somebody, yeah, again, it's I just, I just feel that, you know, some of those things are... You know they're not very durable, you know, at, at that sense. But at at a high, you know, thirty thousand feet sense. But it's durable enough that you know maybe you know just given the size of the market and so on. But here's the flip side, right? Uh, when the growth is going to slow, so is their ability to also actually grow, right? So I mean, you know, you have you've had this huge wave of growth happening, but if the wave of growth slows down, you know, so is the you know multiple is also likely going to shrink at that point, right? All right, buy, hold, or sell next day, say at the current price. Um, uh, if I if I own it, I'd hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. If you didn't own it, uh, if I didn't own it, I wouldn't buy it. Like, that's basically a hold, <laughs> in, in my view. Um, yeah, I wouldn't sell it yet. Okay. I, I don't think it's you know it's become. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't think it's you know. I think it's got some more opportunities. I think it's you know good. Yeah, I, I, it's a hold for me. You heard it first from our local resident computer scientist and PhD, Anir Mahati. Thank you, Doc. That, that, that doesn't make it. That doesn't make this buy, hold, or sell any. <laughs> I'm just letting people know. I, I find it fascinating talking to you about tech, mate. I, I enjoy it very much. Um, so thank yeah. you for sharing with us. Um, and, yeah, and uh, with all those qualifications added, you know, I, I feel that there's an extra burden on that whole rating. <laughs> but, but not intentional. Uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, that, that's all good. <laughs> All right. That does wrap us up, fools. But before we go, don't forget, you can and should subscribe to Triple M's Mo- Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating, give us a review on iTunes or that app. It helps other people find us and give us a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling as well, because, you know, we don't really solicit positive feedback in this podcast. We're, we're very much just... We're very humble. We're men of the people. Yeah. We're men of the people. Yeah. And if you like what we're doing, please, uh, please also subscribe at www.fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.